Well, good morning, everybody. It is really good to be with you to continue this series entitled Wonderful. It's a, it's a study of Psalm 139, one of my all-time favorite passages. A number of you have told me how much you love this passage of Scripture already. Well, no matter where you started with this passage, I pray that by the end of our study together, you're going to be like, oh my, what? Psalm 139 is awesome. And that it would not only be a, a celebration of the Scripture, but more a celebration of the God of the Scripture. You'd say, oh, I love Psalm 139, but I really love the God of Psalm 139. Amen? When I was in high school, I, uh, I knew that the athlete tended to, to win the pretty girl. It was really a bummer for me because I, though I wanted to be athletic, I was not. I lacked hand-eye coordination, clumsy by natural, and I wanted to impress this beautiful young Greek girl named Jennifer, my wife, by the way, okay, just as I go you know, usually you can't talk about high school boyfriends or girlfriends, but I can because I married mine. So anyways, wanted to impress her. At this time, we were just friends, and I didn't have any athletic ability to do that with until there was a, a moment when a whole bunch of families from church, including her family and mine, we all decided to go skiing together out in Colorado. And this was the one sport I could do well. I had grown up skiing, and uh, I thought, this is my chance, man. I'm going to wow her on the slopes. She's just going to say, oh. And uh, how, how do you think it went? Well, you may, you know, I married her. You may assume that it went well. Not, not really. Wouldn't you know, on the first day, towards the beginning of the first day, I broke my thumb skiing. And you, you, you may assume, well, Jeff, I'm sure you were cliff jumping or jump and helicopter twist and flip. No, I was actually standing still, and I fell over and broke my thumb. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? A whole bunch of us high school kids were standing together, and I lost my balance, and it was downhill a little bit, but snapped my thumb. And I broke my thumb so bad that the two... The bone just totally severed and the jagged broken ends thrust into the muscle tissue around and the pain was unbearable. And I, I was just writhing on the ground. <laughs> My friends are looking at me going, now, this is interesting. Though Jen and I were technically just friends at this moment, a sympathy and a compassion awoke in her heart as I writhed on the ground that caught her off guard. I stood up, and I'm just like, oh! And then the pain was so severe that nausea came over me. Have you ever had that experience? And I thought to myself, oh, puke on your skis. That'll win her over, you know? That'll really help. And so I, I said, I got to get out of here because she's watching. And so I started to ski away from the group in order to find a private place where I could toss my cookies. And wouldn't you know, Jen starts skiing after me, this compassion thing. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And so I'm, I turn and I start skiing faster and faster. <laughs> Turns out Jen's a really good skier too. <laughs> I could not lose her. As fast as I'm going down the whole mountain, when I, couldn't, I couldn't get rid of her. And I finally arrived at the base of the mountain, and the nausea had passed at that point. 
And, and I said to her, I really hurt myself. Uh, I said, I, I can't ski. I'm going to go sit in the lodge. You go uh, join the friends. And she goes, I'm not leaving your side. <laughs> okay. I go, no, really, there's nothing you can do for me. Uh, you paid for a lift ticket. I don't want you to miss out on this day. You know, you go. I'm going to have to sit here at the lodge all day until our parents come at the end of the day when they can drive me to the hospital. And she goes, I'm not leaving your side. Okay. And so Jen and I sat in the ski lodge next to a stone fireplace with a crackling fire, sipping, other hand, sipping hot chocolate. <laughs> telling stories, laughing together, falling in love. Breaking my thumb was a brilliant idea. Huh? <laughs> if, if, you're, if your athletic ability can't win her over, break a bone. Do something that <laughs> triggers sympathy. I think back to that, that race, if you will, down the mountain. And I think, what, what if you had been there and saw us? You, know, you saw me skiing at an insane speed, looking you know, green. And then you saw this beautiful girl right on my tail, skiing with great concern on her face. You would have thought, what is that? That's the weirdest chase I think I ever saw. And, and you're right, it's a very unusual chase. It's, it's a chase of love, if you will. A drive in Jen to be together based on an awakening affection. And what's interesting is we continue in our study of Psalm 139. We're going to see in this passage a chase, a really strange, unexpected chase. A chase of love where God says, I will not leave your side. I will stay with you. And it's evidence of God's love. In fact, this whole series is evidence of God's love. Five weeks, five evidences. You know, it's one thing to say, God loves you. It's another thing to experience it demonstrated to you. And, and in this Psalm 139, we're seeing this love on display. We, the first evidence, remember last week, was God's knowledge of us. God is so obsessed with us that he is into every little detail of what we think and say and do. It's an evidence of his love. This week, we're looking at God's presence with us, his presence with us. And it, too, is an evidence of his love. Uh, we're starting in verse 5. We're going to look at uh, verses 5 through 12. Uh, let me encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to page 621. 621. But here we go. Ready? This is David the psalmist writing of God. God's the you. You hem me in behind and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Can I just pause? That's the... Uh, Verse 6 is the, where we get the title of this whole series, Wonderful. Such knowledge, this knowledge about God's love on display is too wonderful. That's where we get the subtitle, Overwhelmed by the Love of God. David is in a sense saying, God, stop. I can't handle it. It's too much. It's too wonderful. Isn't that great? I pray you are overwhelmed by God's love. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's that chase. 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the lights will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you, Lord. Wow. Folks, this is good stuff. I, I want to zoom in on the chase. Can, can we go back for a moment to that verse 7? Here's kind of the heart of it, uh, this chase. He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And he runs through these places. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths underground, the place of the dead, you're there. If, If I rise on the wings of the dawn like a sunrise and settle on the far side of the sea, you know, the other side of planet Earth, you're there. Missionaries. I was on short-term missions at times. Maybe you've been to a faraway country. Everything may be different. This remains the same. God is there too. David says, what about the dark? If I go to a place where it's pitch dark, you can't see anything. Even there, you are. And folks, this omnipresence of God is what it's all about. In fact, one of the dangers, some, it drives me a little crazy. Sometimes uh, some of the theologians I read suck the heart out of Psalm 139. They, they say, you know, it's about the attributes of God, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. And, and they, they kind of make it all technical. Omnipresence, meaning God technically is everywhere. He doesn't want to be with you. He has to be with you as a function of his being. You know, No, no, he wants to. Look at the very verbiage by which. You may say, why is David running? Why is he fleeing from God? He's not fleeing from God. It's, it's a hypothetical chase. But God is conveying his omnipresence in this hypothetical chase saying, if you tried to run, I'd find you. You can't shake me, God says. I love you too much. Like me trying to get away from Jen, but compassion driving her to be by my side no matter what. God says, all right, go for it. You just tried to get rid of me. God says, I love you too much. I will not leave your side. This is theology of the heart. This is theology based on the affection of God. God loves us. And his presence with us is evidence of that. You know, of all of these, if I could go here, you'd be there. If I could go there, you'd be there. The one that stands out to me the most is the first one. If I went up to the heavens. Now, heavens here is not a reference to our eternal home heaven, but rather that's the word that the ancients used to describe outer space. You know, since the beginning of humanity, people have gazed out and seen the stars and the moon and the sun and just dreamed about the distances that must be represented there. And the the Lord led David to say, even if, of course, in David's day, no one could actually go in outer space, but theoretically, if one could... God would be there. Now, what's so fascinating is that in our generation, uh, this theory, this theology has been tested. And, and, you know, we've actually sent people into outer space. In fact, you'll notice here the picture of the Apollo 15 and this mission to the moon. There have been 12 men who have been 
honored with the privilege of walking on another planet. Admittedly, the moon's not a planet. It's a natural satellite or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. And they've walked there and they've lived there. And so the question is, was God with them then? And the answer is yes. In fact, let me introduce you. This is, maybe you've heard of James Irwin. Here's a picture of him. Jim Irwin was the eighth man to walk on the moon, one of the select club. And a really fascinating story. He grew up wanting to be an astronaut from boyhood. And he had the incredible opportunity to see that dream fulfilled. What's fascinating is that he was obsessed with rocket ships and outer space and not God. He married a Christian woman and she kind of dragged him to church. And he would have told you that he believed in God, that he existed, but that was about it. Until his trip to to the moon. Jim Irwin lived, slept, worked on the moon for three days, long weekend. And God met him on the moon. (laughs) His spiritual life was forever transformed on the moon. How many people can say, yeah, my life, you know, I just went through a personal awakening. It didn't happen on planet Earth, though. You know, it happened on another planet. Yeah, that's his experience, though. And the thing that revolutionized his life was the presence of God. Jim said that he had never felt the presence of God prior to that mission. But on the moon, the thing that creeped him out was this overwhelming sense that God is with me. In fact, he says a couple times he was working and he stood up and he looked behind him as if expecting to see God standing right there. That's how near the sense of God's presence was. And he grew to love it. Every day of those three that he was there, he just basked in the companionship, the fellowship of God. Revolutionized his life. Now, Some of you are like, well, then I need to go to the moon. I want to experience the presence of God, you know. Well, maybe that day will come where you just fork up a couple million bucks or whatever it is and take a trip to the moon. The key is not getting to the moon. It's not that God reveals his presence more on the moon than he does on planet Earth. The difference was not in God. The difference was in Jim. Think about it. As I meditate on this, I am convinced Jim said that the glory of standing on that planet and looking at God's created universe from that vantage point just screamed that the creator is. You know, this earth shouts, the Bible says in Psalm 19, that what God created shouts that he is real and alive. And yet we've become so accustomed to the glory of creation all around us that it doesn't shout like it used to. We're used to it. I believe that when Jim got on another world and saw that perspective of creation, the freshness of its shouting of God's reality just rocked him. In addition to that, sometimes we get caught up in our routine and we fail to recognize God's presence because we're so busy in normal life. Well, talk about getting away from normal life. He got away from his routine about as far as one could get away. And in that isolation, he was receptive to things he wasn't normally receptive to. 
In addition to that, they experienced some hardships in that mission. And in those hardships, he cried out to God in desperation and prayer. And that cry, all these things met with a change in Jim's receptivity. And as a result, he experienced what he could have experienced on earth but didn't. He experienced it on the moon. Folks, every one of us has a God-given sixth sense. You know, God gave us these senses, abilities by which we can interact with reality. You know, hearing and smelling and touching and tasting. Well, we have this thing called faith. Faith is a God-given sixth sense by which we can interact with spiritual realities, namely God. But the problem is through lack of use, like a muscle that atrophies, so our faith has shriveled. And what we need to do is awaken it and start to say, Lord, I'm going to start praying more. And I'm going to start meditating on scripture and your truth more. And Lord, I'm going to start looking for you more. And thinking about you more. And as we prioritize, focus on God, that capacity to sense and be aware of his reality and nearness, that faith can grow. And those who neglect it find shriveled up and they don't sense God anywhere. And those who lean into it and develop it can come to a place where God is their ever-present companion bringing joy to life. And that's what I want. I want to awaken faith. God is invisible, but he says, trust me, I can be found by those who want me. God says, my invisibility is a brilliant plan by which I am not found by those uninterested, but everyone who hungers enough to look for me will find me. And I want to be one of those who grows increasingly enjoying the tangible experience of God. I don't want Psalm 139 to be words on a page. I want that ever presence of God to be my delight and experience. And I know you do too. And so as we try to focus on God's presence with us, what should we be looking for? In other words, if he's with us, what's he doing? And what's fun is that this passage tells us what God's doing, what to look for. And let's go back to the very first verse. Did you catch this? You hem me in behind and before. And maybe that confused you. What does that mean? The word hem means to surround. Like a hedge of protection, God surrounds us. Uh, You ever seen the Secret Service surround the president? You know, when there's danger, all of a sudden these guys, you know, form, you know, and they hem him in. And he is protected. So God, out of love, has hemmed us in. And is protecting us. Folks, there is such a peace that can come to the heart that realizes, I'm not alone. My God is with me. You know, James Irwin, the astronaut, his wife, again, a devout Christian, she was asked, were you freaking out when your husband was on the moon? When you're watching on TV, him in one of the most dangerous missions ever, the slightest thing could go wrong and they're dead. They asked her, were you panicking? Look what she said. She said, quote, this is what she said. She said, I enjoy watching the, I enjoyed watching the Apollo 15 flight on TV. God held my hand and I had no feeling of fear 
at all. Isn't that amazing? There's the protection of God. She said, you know, I, I watched it without fear. Why? Because of God's presence. God was not only present, he was holding my hand, saying, I've got you surrounded. I've got you surrounded. I've got your loved ones hemmed in. And with that reality, there can be a peace that we enjoy. Okay, so there's the first. Let's go back to the verse here. God is protecting us. That's, that's the first thing we see God doing, right? The second can be found in this phrase. He says, you lay your hand upon me. God reaches out when he's with us and just wants to touch us. Touch is one of the most tender expressions of love imaginable. And so this gentle touch of God is conveying his love. God is loving us. Uh, one of the things I love being a preacher is looking at you. And one of the things I enjoy when I look at you is touch. You know, there'll be a husband and wife and put his arm around the wife, you know, and pull her in or reach over and grab a hand. And touch is so beautiful. Parents with their kids, you know, reach out and touch. Touches convey tender affection. God reaches out to touch you. Have you ever felt that? God just put his arm around you and say, I love you, kid. Oh, folks, the tender affection of God is one of the, maybe the greatest opportunity for humanity He loves you. It's a fact. The question is, will you grow to embrace it, bask in it, enjoy it? You know, James Irwin did, not originally, but on the moon. He describes in his biography how he stood on the moon and would look at planet Earth. In fact, we have a picture here. This is what they would call an earth rise, the earth rising over the horizon of the moon. And this is the thought he had as he stood at this gazed at this blue marble, his home planet. He said, oh my. He thought, I'm looking at the planet from God's perspective. It's like I'm looking at the planet through God's eyes. And he said, as I did, this thought came over me. Oh my, does God love the people of that planet? And then this thought, oh my, does he love me? And for the first time, Jim Irwin basked in the affection for God, of God as he enjoyed God's nearness on the moon. He felt the love of God on the moon. God touched him. May you sense, not the physical touch, but the, in the spiritual realm, the gentle affection of God. Is it a hug that you need? Is it the arm around the shoulder? Is it the holding of hands? But God wants to convey his affection to you. It's part of what it means to be in his presence. So let's go back to the verse. God is protecting. God's loving. How about this? Remember this? It says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there, look at this, your hand will guide me. One of the other things God's doing is guiding us. You know, he's with us, and we're walking through the journey of life, making decisions, and it's like he can't help but say, no, nah, don't do that. Go this way. You know? God's guiding is very real. He speaks guidance to us. My, my son Jake, nine years old, this week he said to me, Dad, what is it, or, or how do you say, what does it sound like when God talks to you? It's a good question from a nine-year-old. And I explained it in this way. I said, Jake, I don't hear anything with my voice. It's, it's inside. I, I suddenly have a thought come to mind. It like pops into my head. And the thought is very much in line with 
the Bible. Like, I have the thought, go over and sit next to your wife and talk to her. And I realized, Jake, that thought is not mine. That's from God. And after a while, you begin to recognize those divine thoughts that pop into your mind. And I said, that, that's what it feels like when God speaks to me. And God does that. God will give you directives and direction and guide you. Uh, Jim Irwin, when he was on the moon, ran into a number of problems. Some of them were of the technical, mechanical type. He had equipment. He had missions that were time-sensitive and failure of equipment. And he had to fix it. And he had not been trained how to do this. He said, I could have called the Houston for advice, but he said that by the time the signal goes from the moon to the earth and by the time that it comes back to me, he said it was too much time. We, we needed to get this done. So we, instead of calling the Houston, he called the God and he prayed. Check out this quote. I could see several logical ways to go about solving these mechanical problems, but I wanted to know the best way. I prayed. And immediately I knew the answer. I'm not talking about some vague sense of direction. God was telling me what to do. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it freaked him out. All of a sudden he's like, oh, I know what to do. That's God guiding. He does it. Did it on the moon. Does it on the earth. Did it then. Does it today. And when you're looking for the presence of God, one of the things you can look for is that guiding voice. Let's go back to the verse So God's protecting, he's loving, he's guiding. Here it says, your right hand will hold me fast. Now that's a little confusing. What do you mean, your right hand? Well, in the ancient culture, the right hand symbolized power. And it's saying that God's power will come to bear in my life. He will hold me fast. Like I'm on a storm on a boat and the storm is too much, I'm going to fall. God holds me fast. He brings his power to bear in my life, which enables me to endure. The word is empowering. God says, I will help you endure the challenges that come your way. Folks, have you ever realized you're being carried by a power, a strength that's not your own? You know, uh, Jim Irwin, when he was on uh, the moon, uh, it was very, very difficult They had so many missions to accomplish in such a short amount of time that they were forced to work 24 hours without any sleep under immense stress. And what's interesting, what they didn't know prior to this mission is that Jim had a bad heart. His physical heart was... Uh, had defects in it. And that became evident as the people in Houston were monitoring his vitals and realized, oh no, he has an irregular arrhythmia. He has a racing heart. He's on the verge of a massive heart attack. And they didn't know what to do in Houston. They're like, do we tell him, buddy, you're you're about to... And, And they decided that that stress of knowing would only make things worse. And so it wasn't until he got home that he was told, we got to check out your heart. And it turns out he had a bad heart. Jim Irwin died of a heart attack, uh, the youngest one of any of the moonwalkers to die uh, because of this defect. And yet he said, I felt great. Um, I was sleep deprived, nearing a heart attack, and I was going at my mission with vigor. Check this quote out. He said, I feel now that the power of God was working in me the whole time. God's right hand was holding me steadfast. 
And folks, when we enjoy the presence of God, one of the things we will find in our hardship, there will be a strength not our own, an empowerment from God. Well, one more. Going back to our outline, God's protecting, loving, guiding, empowering. I love this darkness quote. Surely the darkness will hide me. The night, you know, it's going to become dark around me, and then God's presence won't be there, right? Wrong. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. I highlight this because I just love this phrase. The nights will shine like the day when God is present. For darkness is as light to you. Brightening is the word. God has a way of brightening your life. You know, darkness, the commentators and theologians clarify, is a circumstance of confusion and fear and anxiety. But when God shows up, what happens? It's like the day. You ever use that phrase, that person just lights up a room? What What do we mean? We mean that their presence changes the atmosphere. You can have the worst, awful type of situation, but add that person and they just brighten the room. That's God. God's presence will light up your life. You may say, I've got the worst job in the world. It is so boring. Or you say, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I got all these domestic responsibilities that are just, I hate them. Your circumstances may be terrible. Add God, it's awesome. If you have the privilege of walking and talking with the king of the universe, the maker of everything, that will make an otherwise dull day extraordinary. God changes everything. Folks, uh, Jim Irwin loved being on the moon. That's not a surprise. You know, he, he looked back on those three days as pure joy, the most exciting days of his life. And yet, what made it extraordinary was not the moon. Watch this. Here's a quote. The days I spent on the moon were the most exciting days of my life, not because I was there, but because God was there. Isn't that amazing? The thing that made those days amazing was not the circumstances of being on the moon, but the circumstance of being in the presence of God. That's what blew him away. That's what made it so extraordinary. And that's what can make your life amazing. Do it with God, he'll light up the room. Folks, the presence of God is so important for us to pursue because it'll change everything. If God is simply some being we believe in, some knowledge we have, some belief that's way out there, that's, that's nothing. But, but if God is our best friend, if he is tangible, if we walk with him and talk with him and enjoy his companionship, it will change everything. Everything. Jim Irwin changed his whole life. Prior to that mission, he was obsessed with being an astronaut. That's all he thought about. That's all he was consumed with. Do you know one year after his return, before one year after his return, he quit NASA. I mean, he was still a young man, but he walked away from it all. He said, you know, I'm done with this. I want to be a pastor. That's what he said. I want to be a pastor. And he became a pastor evangelist proclaiming the life available in Christ. Here's a quote. Uh, He says, before the flight, I was really not a religious man. 
But when I came back from the moon, I felt so strongly I had something that I wanted to share with others. I needed to tell all people everywhere, God is alive. Isn't that incredible? His whole purpose in living shifted. Now, am I saying you got to quit your job and become a pastor? No, don't do that. But your purpose for living will shift and you'll say, you know, the the things that used to consume me were this, but now friendship with God is what I'm about. It'll change everything. The tangible enjoyment of the presence of God. Let's pray. God, this is awesome. The fact that you are with us, Lord. This is unbelievable that no matter where we go, up or down or far away or light or dark, that you can be experienced. God, thank you. We don't deserve it. We receive it. Would you give us the strength to press in and find you? Would you give us this tenacity, this bulldog tenacity that I refuse to live this day? without striving to interact with my God. And Lord, through that, would you build faith and the capacity to sense and enjoy your presence and love? Please, God, make all of us the people of the Compass Church, not those who believe God exists, but those who experience the existence of God. Please, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.